Somewhere over the rainbow. Hey, how you doing, everybody? Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Free Domain. Like Frito-Lay, but less salty and more spicy. Hope you guys are doing well. And let's check our We Audio. And, uh... Anyone want to bet there will be another rant about video technology? No, I've decided to take complete ownership of myself. If I have decided not to get a Mac, which apparently will solve all of my problems, it's on me. Does the chat work today? Yes. Hello, Julie. Hello, James. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Jay Blad. Hello, just finished reading your newsletter. Feels like a friend reaching out and a delight to read. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And listen. For those of you who are not fully, completely, and totally aware of the earth-shaking movement in the literary world of the English-speaking Western canon, oh, that's right, my friends. That's right. The e-book version of my epic historical novel, Almost, is now available for you for free. And I, I was, I just had people, um, let me tell you just, just how good this book is. Let me tell you, first of all, it was written a while ago when I was at even more of a peak of my intellectual and artistic powers. I will tell you, well, why you should read this book, why it's important, what matters about it, but most importantly, it will be a test to see if you actually have that little thing they call a heart or empathy or things like that. So, uh, again, I poured heart and soul into this book. And um, if you care to learn about me, you can probably learn quite a bit about me from the book, though that's not the main reason. So I have um, a quote or two from here for people who uh, liked the show, uh, sorry, liked the, the book and wanted to give me feedback, right? So here... Uh, somebody said, the scene around 26 minutes under chapter 7 to 9 turned me into a blubbering mess about a week ago. It was very unexpected, particularly since I've been hesitant to explore after doing uh, these emotions after doing so during the initial release of the book. I've never been good at following audiobooks for some reason. So immersed I was throughout the whole scene that I almost totally forgot it was a male voice doing the reading and was surprised, so surprised when I remembered that you were the one reading it. Came out with a greater understanding for why it being an audiobook can be so effective. Returned to that scene a couple of times ever since. I was quite impressed by the use of language and devices that I thought I detected, like the chiasmus, but it's been blown up, uh, but it's been blown over by that one scene, never really connected to fictional works before until then. And... Uh, this is a part about how this young man's nanny said that she got a thousand times more out of the relationship than she put in. That stuck with me too. I look forward to saying that to my kids many times when the appropriate times start to arise. So um, that's the one somebody else said when he posted the scene. I still feel it all bubbling up when I enter that scene. Somebody else said, yes, that was one of the first spots I turned into a blubbering mess as well. And the emotionality of the book, the passion, the depth, the power of the book should all not be at all underestimated. And I strongly urge you to get into it. 
So just go to almost, sorry, just go to almostnovel.com, almostnovel.com. That will take you, or you can go to freedomain.com forward slash almost. That will take you to the page where you can get the audiobook. You can get now, it's uh, the EPUB version, the, the, um, audio, the, the, the uh, ebook version. And just pick it up, take a deep breath, get a couch, get some quiet time, and just, what can I tell you? Start to read it. It's an amazing book. It's a powerful book. And remember, I am a very well-trained actor. I, when I was auditioning for the National Theatre School back in the day, um, they, they took, um, gosh, yeah, 1% of people they took. Like one out of a thousand people they took. Something's a little odd with the focus here. Let me just see if I can fix it. Oh, no, I don't want color intensity to be that strong. Why are you doing that? Let's go back to there. Sorry, just the autofocus is not quite working. Or is it? Maybe I'm just blurry these days. Anyway, so I was one of well, 1,600 people applied. 16 people got in. And so my acting chops are pretty good. And uh, again, I was well trained on it. So I hope that you will check it out um, and listen to me imitate Winston Churchill on a regular basis. I mean, really, what could be better than that in your life? And again, it's all completely 100% free. There's no ads. There's nothing. It's just me with a very high quality audio setup doing an audiobook reading and playing about 5,000 different people throughout the course of the book. It's a long book, but man, I'm telling you, if you want to understand families, if you want to understand European history, if you want to understand the roots and origins of war and political violence, or if you've ever had a trouble with your sibling, this is the book to read. I'm telling you, it is amazing. You want to do the audiobook? It's free. You want to do the ebook version? You can read it that way. So please just, just check it out. Just check it out if you could. There's an English-speaking Western canon. Uh, sorry, that's canon with one N, which means collection of great works, rather than canon with two Ns, which is um, in, uh, immigration. All right. Uh, Steph in bed. That's right, my friends. I've invited you into my bed for an OnlyFans chat. <laughs> Bedside Steph, yeah. Uh, that is awesome. Almost is amazing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Great book. The last scene didn't really resonate for me. I guess to talk about it would be a spoiler, though. Oh, um, that I won't, um, I won't get into. Uh, just finished the whole book on almostbook.com. Nothing about World War II. <laughs> Very disappointed. Well, um, I guess that's a troll uh, because uh, there, was, there is World War II in it. Uh, ebook version just in time to read during the new coming lockdown. So are you in Australia? Well, that would be the case, right? That would be the case. So... Yeah, I mean, don't forget to sign up for the, I don't mean to be a whole bunch of like busy work here at the beginning. It would be a relatively short show tonight, but don't forget to sign up for the newsletter at freedomain.com forward slash newsletter forward slash forward slash newsletter. And uh, yeah, just ch just check it out. This is This is something that I just, it's a beautiful thing that I made. It took, I mean, this was more than a year of my life of researching and writing and editing. And it's, um, uh, I, I, so I was trained in writing at the National Theatre School. I also took the Humber School for Writers. 
under the tutelage of Elizabeth Harper, or learn to work more on fiction, so I do have a letter. Okay, so, questions. Yes, happy to take them. Steph, how did your perspective change for, about marriage, change from your young 20s to your wedding day? Well, I always, I always thought I would be married. I always thought I would enjoy being a dad and enjoy being married. I always thought I'd make a really good husband. I, wouldn't, I don't want to brag. Like I was a pretty good-looking and tasty young piece of man meat. I was a, quite the himbo with a heart of gold and the intellect of uh, and the enlightenment. So there were some couple of girls who didn't go out with me. Like I'd ask them out and they'd you know, make their polite excuses, very nice about it and all of that. But I'll tell you, man, <laughs> part of me was like, okay, so you don't want to go out with me. Okay, well, good luck, right? Good luck finding somebody who's going to be a better husband, a better friend, a better dad, a better provider. Like, you know, enjoy. Enjoy your, your great search and, and all of that. And do you ever have this? <laughs> Ooh, it's guilty secret time. Do you ever have this where I, of course, have not done it ever since I've gotten married because I'm a good little choir boy. But do you ever have it where the girls who didn't go out with you, you look up to see how they're doing? You ever... You ever look into that? You ever look into that? Um, I suppose, yes, I have. Oh, yeah, freedomain.locals.com. Sign up there. It's a free, it's a great community. You can chat with people and so on, right? So, yeah, well, somebody says one is fat. Uh, yeah, do you ever? Do you, look, if they, if they went and found happiness, I guess that's fantastic, but that doesn't really generally seem to be the case. What generally seems to be the case is that uh, they don't end up finding happiness, and in fact, it seems to go the opposite way for them, for them in some ways. So, um, how has my view on marriage changed? Well, I don't think it has. I, I think I've got the marriage that I always felt I was capable of. I have the marriage I always felt I was capable of. I have the marriage that I always envisioned when I was a kid, right? So, you know, hit me with a why if you grew up in, I don't know, like a, um, a hellish honeycomb, a dysfunctional house of cards. If you grew up in a apartment or what they, we called in England a flat with, you know, those sort of paper thin walls and, and people all around you and you're like trapped in Charles Bukowski's unconscious or something like that. No, I don't hate people. I just, seem to feel better when they're not around. And all, all around you, it's like this who-based symphony of people fighting and yelling at each other. No? Oh, good. Listen, that's fantastic, right? I think that's fantastic. So if you were like me and you grew up in these crappy little paper wall thins, uh, you, you like you don't need to be Phil Collins to be having your ear up against the wall hearing things, you just... You just hear these, these people yelling at each other all the time, people having fights, people having discontentedness, people accusing each other of stuff and all of that. And it's pretty, it's pretty awful. I remember when, so when, when I first moved to Canada, when we flew from England to New York on Freddie Laker, and then, because we couldn't afford a regular airfare, and then we took the bus north to go to Canada. I first lived in Whitby uh, with my brother's, I'm sorry, my mother's half-brother, and he worked for a television station, and he was a camera director. And then we moved to Toronto, and we lived in a whole series of pretty crappy apartments, because housing market, of course, was tight back then as it is now. 
and we just lived in these really crappy apartments. And when we moved to the apartment building, and we moved three times within that apartment building from a one-bedroom to a two-bedroom to a three-bedroom, and when we moved from the one-bedroom to the two-bedroom, a neighbor invited us to come over to say hi and get to know each other and so on. But we ended up canceling that evening because her boyfriend, who was an ex-cop, uh, shot a gun in, into, into the wall of the apartment building, or of the apartment, their apartment. So, I mean, I guess my mom liked a little bit of rough trade, but not quite that obvious. So we ended up not doing that. And so I just, I very clearly remember when I was a kid, you know, hearing this symphony, and sometimes it was like a real hellish, Dostoevskian, nightmarish, Bukowski symphony of, you know, people fighting above you, people fighting to the left, people fighting to the right, people fighting below. It was like all around you. Now, it wasn't super bad. It wasn't like constant screaming. It wasn't like some flop fest in, the, in, in uh, uh, Gabor Mate's client neighborhood, but it was pretty bad at times. And so I just remember lying there in bed with people screaming at each other, yelling at each other, saying horrible things to each other. And I just remember thinking like, what, what two things. One, oh, just be nice. Like how, how complicated is it? Just, just be nice. Just be nice. Doesn't mean be perfect. Doesn't mean never lose your temper, never be cranky, but just be nice. How complicated. You're there, you're living with someone, you're uniting your life with them, you're breaking bread together, you're sleeping together. Just be nice, you know, wake up, kiss them, how you doing, give a hug, how did you sleep, you know, what's your plans for the day, and, and all of that, and, and just have a reasonable, nice, pleasant conversation. And, I mean, that's the marriage I thought of when I was five or six years old, when I was hearing all these people yell, and that's the marriage I've had for almost 20 years, where you just, just be nice, just be nice to each other. So that's, that's the one thing. The other thing that I remember, and I don't know if you've, you've probably seen this a million times in your life, which is the odd and strange paradox. And listen, give me your thoughts on this. Give me your theories on this, right? The odd and strange paradox, which is why people are vastly nicer to those who are distant from them than those who are close to them. Why? This is a, a factor of reality that makes absolutely zero sense at all. I mean, I remember the neighbor, they were in the middle of a screaming fest. I really didn't want to interrupt them, but they borrowed something of mine that I really needed and knocked on the door and they answered like, hi. And like, I'm just some kid down the hall. What, what do you, hi, what are you being so pleasant to me for and being so mean to each other? You don't live with me. You barely see me. You don't know me. I'm going to apparently move to Canada soon. So Why? Why would you care about, about this stuff, right? And it is always very strange when you think about it, how nice people are to strangers that they'll almost never meet again and how mean they are to the people they actually live with who are supposed to follow them through life, might take care of them when they get old. Like it's, that's something that just has never made any sense to me at all. You know, and I've said this a million times before, like my mom be screaming at me, like her face red and distorted, like some evil constipated tomato. And then the phone would ring and she'd think maybe it was one of her boyfriends or something. And she'd go from, ah, to like, hi, hi, 
hi, you know, soft voice, butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, that kind of stuff, right? And I was like, even I could tell at this point, like, you know, these men were just like cycling through her life, right? They, they, they would be there because she was pretty. They would be there because she was slender. They would be there because she seemed smart. They would be there because she could be a good conversationalist. And then they'd, uh, you know, puncture the outer shell of vague chameleon normality and enter into the Dantean underworld of her craziness. And then they'd they'd run, right? Like Michael Douglas in every female exploiting movie he got trapped in in the 90s, they'd run away from what they definitely scented as a potential bunny boiler and were right. And and we'd go to a restaurant and, and she'd be yelling at me on the way to the restaurant. We'd get into the restaurant and she'd be so nice to the waiter. I remember one time in a restaurant at the old Don Mills Mall, she had a piece of fish. She said, this halibut's good enough for Jehovah. No. So she had a piece of fish, like um, fish and chips, and, and she demanded that the chef come out. And the chef came out like some greasy guy, you know, barely able to fry an egg. And she, she spent time lavishly praising the, what seemed to be rather greasy and unpleasant fish and chips. She says, this is wonderful, great food, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't. She didn't praise me in that kind of way very often, if at all, and yet some guy cooks a fairly random piece of fish and she's super nice to him, right? Just as she was super nice to her boyfriends while, like, within 10 seconds of screaming blue murder at me, right? It's very strange to me, and help me understand this, because I, I, I do have real trouble understanding, like, why on earth, why on earth, why on earth would people be so much nicer to strangers or people that they're dating, than to their kids, to their, their family members, and so on. Like, you know, you all probably have siblings, right? Why is it that siblings are so much nicer to the siblings' friends than to their own flesh and blood, their brother? You know, like, it's like everyone says, oh, you do for family. Family is everything. Blood is thicker than water. I say, like, what complete nonsense. Empirically, families treat each other the worst, and they treat strangers just about the best. And that's the truth and reality of life as we know it. That's the truth and reality of life as we know it. That people who are married to each other, people who are related to each other, parents, children, aunts, uncles, they treat each other like crap. And yet, they treat strangers quite well, often within five seconds or 10 seconds or 20 seconds of treating people like crap. You ever have this where... My mom never, I don't think she ever once went to a parent-teacher conference, but a friend of mine was saying that, you know, his, his, his dad would be yelling at them uh, over something inconsequential. This is always the case. And then they'd get up and they'd go into the parent-teacher conference and his dad would be all smiles and jokes and good humor with the teacher. And my mom is old now. I was just reading about how Susan Sarandon, who is, um, I mean, a fairly charming and charismatic actress from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Degenerate Cesspit, that I'll review one day. Um, she's now 74, and she's completely alone. And she's basically given up on dating, and it's like, well, that's, that's pretty sad, man. Now, it could happen if you're widowed or whatever, but it happened, I think, because of this, these, these bad decisions. And so I remember... 
people used to, they don't so much anymore, but people used to say, oh, but your mom, she's alone, she's, she's old, she needs you, she's this, she's that, she's the other, right? And I used to say this, and I might as well mention it now, I haven't talked about it in a long time, and maybe you're facing this kind of issue in your life. I mean, I used to say the same thing. I used to say, no, 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 see, my mom, oh, almost lost our camera there. Excellent, I like it when it's all very delicate. Look at those reflexes. I'd say cat-like, but that's sort of an insult to um, me because it's way better than cats. All right, hang on, let's see here. What can I prop this up with? Eh, that's better. Eh, looky la, delightful. All right. Um, see, that's the problem, right? If if uh, if the camera rolls, you'll see, of course, that this is just a giant set, and uh, I live uh, in a space station uh, uh, orbiting Aldebaran. Anyway. So people would say, oh, but Steph, your mom is, is old and, and, and sad and lonely and all this kind of stuff, right? And I would say the same thing. It's like, no, no, no. You see, what my mom needs to do is she needs to gain back the resources when she's old of the people she treated the best when I was growing up. So what she needs to do, of course, is she needs to figure out where she put her best behavior and then ask those people for uh, resources now that she's old. So I said, you know, what she could do is she could phone one of her boyfriends from like 40 years ago, right? And, and she could phone her boyfriend from 40 years ago, find him, and, and then say, hey, um, remember me? I'm that rather unstable woman that you dated maybe 40, 43 years ago. And I think we went out for a week or two. It was, this was in Toronto. Um, remember, I was nice to you for the most part. I mean, things got probably a little crazy towards the end, but I was nice for the most part. So um, my kids don't really talk to me. I'm kind of lonely. Let's, um, let's hang out. Yeah, or... Mom was always super nice to waiters. So what she could do is she could find a waiter and she could say, hey, do you remember? Oh boy, this is probably going back 50 years. Um, but you were my waiter. At a, uh, I came to the restaurant a couple of times in the late 70s, early 80s. I'm sure you remember me. Anyway, I'm in my 80s now and I'm kind of lonely. So... Uh, you know, I'm just wondering if you could, um, you know, help me with some errands, uh, you know, maybe pick me up and take me to the dentist or something like that, because it was really nice to you about 52 years ago. And it would just be really great because now that I'm old, I really need this kind of support, this kind of help, right? And that is a sort of very big and interesting question, right? Why, um, why doesn't she do that? Well, of course, we, to ask that question is to, is to answer it, right? Like, we understand that that's kind of a ridiculous thing, right? But that's where people put their... That's where people put their resources. It's absolutely mad. It's absolutely mad. This is where people put their resources. They'll pour all this energy into people they're never going to see again. And then what they do is when they get old, they demand the family members, or particularly the adult children that they often treated like crap, give them all these sorts of resources, right? So tell me your theories. Help me unpack, unpuzzle this riddle. 
help me help me help me understand this. Help me understand why people crap where they eat. Why do people treat strangers better than they treat their supposed loved ones, right? Why? Oh, you've been, look, I mean, we've all been guilty. I mean, it does happen. I understand that. But I mean, isn't this one of the things like, you know, we all want to eat candy, not salad, right? But we eat salad, not candy, because we're responsible people. Ah, familiarity breeds contempt. Ah, you know, that's, but that's just a catchphrase. That's just a bromide. It doesn't really explain much about why people are doing what it is that they're doing. Why is it that people treat loved ones so badly? If you're faking a personality, it's exhausting to do it for a long time, and so you can only do it with random people. No. The ones closest to us know the bombs in the brain better than strangers, yeah? Because they can unload with the promise of future forgiveness. Oh, interesting. The idea that people will be courteous till it kills them. Some people are just malcontents. Eh, it's not a very deep answer. People with low self-esteem want society to like them and they know their dependents can't leave, so they don't care about what they think. So is it sort of like you are a government worker, like there's some worker at the DMV, it's like, well, if you do a bad job, what does it matter? It doesn't matter if you do a bad job at the DMV because people are forced to be there and they've got to come and get their renewals and so on. Do you think it's that? That the family is basically socialized? Banana Mango Smoothie says, I disagree totally. All right. Uh, I, I mean, I think you're onto something with the fake, or the fake, like faking a personality. So people can usually do that for about three months. They can usually fake things for about three months, and then the facade begins to sort of crumble, and all of that. So, someone says, someone says, it felt similar to how relationships were in my childhood, maybe. So I continued those behaviors until I really caught myself and felt bad. Yeah. Political society observation of what works, bad standard, especially in personal relationships. I don't know what that means. How about how people want to be perceived as a good person but don't want to put the work in? The outsiders aren't in any power hierarchical group they're in. Family are close to the top of the hierarchy and most likely to be abused. I don't know what that means. It has to do with people closest to you getting under your skin. But I don't think that's true either. I mean, sorry, I mean, you could be right. Um... Getting under your skin, like saying that the people close to you annoy you, doesn't really answer anything. The question is, A, why do they annoy you? B, why do you have people around you who keep annoying you? And, and C, why don't you just rise above it, right? I mean, haven't you, seen, haven't you seen people who have incredible patience with, let's say, a waiter, right? Um, I don't think in my entire life I ever saw my mom or people I would consider bullies snap at a waiter. Even if the waiter was incompetent, even if the waiter got the food order wrong, even if the soup was cold, I've never seen a anyone do it. Now, I know it happens because you see the Karen videos on, on the internet, but I I've not seen it. And what does that mean? That they're, so, you, you know, things get under your skin, but you're able to rise above it. You're able to do it. So for me, I mean, I try to treat everyone well. I mean, I try to treat everyone well, but... If I have to sacrifice someone, it's going to be a stranger over my family, over my friends, and all of that. I mean, I've told this to my daughter. In any conflict she ever gets into, in a public or social situation, 
whatever conflict she gets into, I'm 150% on her side. And maybe I'll say something later, but I'm 150% her side. So I just, um, I don't really understand it. Elizabeth Holmes faked her voice and everything. Yeah, so Elizabeth Holmes is, um, is uh, the Elizabeth Holmes and, what was it, Thanatos or something like that, Thanaros? This was a woman who claimed that she had this amazing machine that could take a pinprick of blood and diagnose hundreds of different illnesses and ailments and so on. And it was all totally fabricated, all a complete lie. And some very rich and powerful people were on her board of directors. And she raised what? She was like a, the youngest entrepreneurial billionaire. And she self-consciously dressed like uh, Steve Jobs and all of that. And it really was mad. It was all of it was quite mad. Because, I mean, if you're in computer science, things are constantly changing and there's a certain amount of genius. It's like poetry, right? If you haven't made a major contribution in poetry by the age of 25 or the hard sciences for that matter, you know, you're not really going to... Most people peak intellectually in their mid to late 20s and it's all downhill after that. So Elizabeth Holmes, to, to, to make a contribution in the, in the healthcare environment takes like decades. You've got to study, you've got to get approval, you've got to really understand things. It's not the same as computer science or poetry or even the hard sciences where you can get these genius inspirations and just like work it out on your own and make things happen and all that kind of stuff. So people thought because they've been programmed to believe that men and women are exactly the same and people are like, well, where, where's the female Bill Gates? Right. Sorry, where's the female Steve Jobs? Where's the female Bill Gates? Where's the Steve, female Wozniak or whatever, right? And the answer is that there almost likely will never be one. I mean, in any real way, because for a variety of reasons we've sort of gone into before. And so, of course, when this woman came along and artificially deepened her voice and had those startled baby winterscape blue eyes and so on, like a big shaken snow globe, and talked about how passionate she was and how much she loved her business and got into it because her uncle died of something that she wanted to help and, and, you know, had those big dewy Bambi eyes and, and, and just, you know, and people are like, well, you know, this is this, this Steve Jobs. And it's like wrong field, wrong gender, wrong environment. And she ended up being the, the, like having sex with her Pakistani boyfriend. And it was all just a bunch of, a bunch of nonsense that statistically people would never believe in except, you know, political correctness and all this kind of stuff as well. So. Um, let's see here. Strangers might be dangerous to them, so that's why they're nice to them. Well, not waiters, though. Not waiters, not boyfriends or anything like that. Not usually, right? Being nice to strangers shows those closer how one can be mean and one cannot be mean in general. Yeah, I've thought of that, too, and that's a great point. So I don't mean to claim your point. That's a great point, though, which is if your mom is mean to you but nice to the waiter, she's saying, hey, I can be nice, just just not to you, right? Yeah, I think that's... Strangers are more willing to call authorities on wrongdoers. Well, again, but not if you're just, you know, Karen nagging them or anything like that, right? I've seen my mother get out of the car in a drive through and go inside and make a scene when I was young. Yeah, yeah. Those who cause the most trouble get their way very often. People notice that. Hmm. She should have sold a PCR test. She never would have been caught there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Elizabeth Holmes is trying to judge jail, jail time by getting pregnant. Well, wouldn't you? Of course of course. So, the richest women in the world get their money from divorce settlements. Well, yeah, of course, this is exactly what you would expect, right? So, how do women become wealthy? Well, in general, 
you know, I, I've thought of this a bunch of times. I'm sure you have as well, right? So <laughs> you see all of these movie stars, right? Um, and and they, these women, right? These these pretty movie stars. And, and they get into these businesses, right? Now, the business is never an engineering company. It's never... <laughs> It's never a construction company. It's never um, sewage treatment or, you know, outsourcing computer science, uh, a computer scientist or anything like that. Or it's never, it's never anything like that. It's always like lifestyle, goop-based, vagina-scented candles. It's all just this. They never get involved in anything technical. And then, of course, what they do is, is after they set up their, it's ethically sourced, baby seal makeup or the facial cream that they actually in part make from the foreskins of genitally mutilated circumcised little boys, which is about as fucking satanic as anything can be on this planet. I mean, talk about like taking mutilated boy baby penis parts, applying them on your face to look younger and prettier is about as demonic a transmission of evil as I could possibly imagine. And the people involved in this uh, are just horrendous. But um yeah, it's, it's how, how do they become wealthy? So they become wealthy by marrying a guy who makes money and then divorcing the guy. Or they become wealthy because they are selling their looks on, on video or, or on TV or on the movies or whatever. And then um, they get a bunch of investors uh, and, and they then become wealthy. What was it? Reese Witherspoon just sold some company for a couple hundred million uh, bucks and... I mean, Reese Witherspoon, I'm sure, is a very nice person, but, you know, she's not a business genius, I'm sure, right? So, yeah, it's just, just looks, it's all, all silly nonsense, right? Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow getting involved in, you know, I really, really care about the environment, so what I'm going to do is I've, I've, I'm just going to work on sewage treatment in the third world. <laughs> Never going to do anything like that. Never going to do anything like that. Oh, yeah, if you look up the top richest women, they're all just parasiting off men through the family court system, for sure. What do you think of the Chris Chan thing? Yeah, somebody posted, uh, and I saw that. So Chris Chan, I think he's alleged to have, uh, you know what, I'm not even going to get into it. You go and look up it to it yourself. It's, it's just too freudian and revolting and repulsive for words. And there's someone who's done like a 57-part biography of Christian and each part is like 40 minutes long and I'm like oh my god that's insane right that's insane and he's transgender and they're going to put him in a woman's prison and yeah it's just going to be a mess it's going to be a mess right it's easier to be nice to strangers because they haven't disappointed you yet no that's not it um first of all even if the waiter does disappoint you people are still pretty nice to the waiter but no it's not that because you are disappointing you're like the people you're yelling at, you're disappointing them by yelling at them, right? So that's not, right? Sewer water hydration by Amber Heard. <laughs> right, right. Now my brother calls and I'm tempted to hang up to listen to the stream, but now I feel bad because of the topic. That's right. Maybe it's somehow connected to the fact that abusive people view their kids as sadistic. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You always treat strangers with less emotion than family. Friendliness between strangers is not genuine because there is no love or hate. But why is there more emotion treating people badly? That's the question, right? No cost or downside to adding niceness to one's facade with strangers. But isn't there a downside to being mean to the people who actually live with you, right? 
I can't think of much else than they can get away with it. I don't know. Steph, do you have any advice for how to get over social anxiety and phobias? Um, so phobias, from my understanding, the psychological work that can be done to deal with phobias is actually fairly well known. It's fairly rigorous. It's fairly good because if you go to a, a competent therapist or psychologist and you go through the pro progressive exposure stuff, you can get over dealing with phobias fairly easily. It, it's fairly well documented. It's fairly, and it's not like a multi-year process. So you, you can get over that kind of stuff if you get a competent therapist. So just look up a therapist who's practiced or, or trained or both, obviously, in dealing with getting phobias dealt with, and, and you can probably deal with it pretty well. With social anxiety, so the first thing that you need to recognize, I assume, you know this probably, is that social anxiety, in my view, comes from having dangerous people around you when you're younger. And if you have dangerous people around you when you're younger, then it's like you're raised by lions or raised around lions that occasionally bite you hard. And, you know, you're missing fingers, you're missing toes, you're missing whatever, right, a chunk out of your leg. And then saying, you know, he just has a lion phobia. It's like, he's just, it's, he's weirdly frightened of lions. It's like, well, no, he's not weirdly frightened of lions. The reason why he's nervous around lions is because he was raised by lions that regularly took chunks out of him with their teeth, right? And it's the same thing, of course, with people. If you were raised by dangerous people who attacked and humiliated you, then you're going to associate people with danger, and that's going to be social anxiety. So I would assume that, and of course, if you're surrounded by dysfunctional people, if you're surrounded by abusive people still, then you won't have any nice people around, right? That's the price of not dealing with abusive people and either getting them to reform or getting them the hell out of your life is that they act as a giant human shield or a fiery lava-based alligator-filled moat that keeps decent people away from you. Because decent people, while they will definitely sympathize with you and say what a terrible thing it is that you're dealing with, what they won't do is become your friend and hang out with you because they don't want to get dragged into the orbit of dysfunctional, dangerous, abusive, mean, petty people. And so if you were raised by abusive people, you're going to be scared of people. And if you still have abusive people in your life, you won't have any kind people in your life. You won't have any thoughtful or morally courageous or strong or decent people in your life. That's just, it's a sad thing, but it's just, that's the price you pay. You know, I mean, the number of times I've had people call into my show, my God, it's wild. They call into my show and they say, oh yeah, no, I'm deeply embedded in, basically they say, I'm deeply embedded in an insane and abusive family, but boy, do I ever want a really kind quality woman to be my wife. And it's like, She's not going to do it, man. She's not going to do it. Because a man looks at a woman and sees her in isolation. A woman looks at a man and sees her, sees him as embedded in a whole family structure that she's going to be wedded to and intertwined with and who are going to be half raising her kids and she's going to have to rely on and, right? And she's going to have to take care of when they get older. And if they're dysfunctional and dangerous and damaged and whatever, when they're in their middle age, they're going to get even worse, usually, when they get older. And so a woman looks at a man and says, hey, I like you very much, but I am not marrying into this family structure 
because I'm not going to spend the next 40 or 50 years of my life managing the effects of crazy people on my family and particularly on you, right? So sorry, if you're the portal by which crazy people get their hooks uh, around my neck, no thanks, man, no thanks. And the price of having dysfunctional and dangerous and abusive people in your life is you have every damn right to be socially anxious because just about everyone you meet when you have that in your life, just about everyone you meet is going to be dysfunctional, damaged, and dangerous. So uh, just get yourself to a place of safety no matter what, no matter what, no matter who uh, it, it costs, no matter how upset people get. You get you can say to people, of course, oh, you know, I don't, um, I don't really like how we're getting along. I don't really like what's going on in our relationship. I don't really like the negative things that are occurring. And just, yeah, just don't do it. You know, I had a friend who used to, um, whenever we'd be in social situations, he would just bring up silly or foolish things that I'd done. And I said to him, I said, man, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't mind laughing at myself. That's totally fine. But it's, it just, it's, a, it's too much. Like, why don't you ever talk about the wise or smart or cool or really brilliant things that I've done? Why is it always silly or foolish things that I did, right? And... Uh, you know, he was the, hey, man, can't you, you, you got to have a sense of humor about yourself. Why can't you uh, take a joke and so on, right? So then I'm like, okay, let's, uh, let's do a little experiment. Never be afraid to um, pay people back in their own coin, right? If the uh, counterfeiter says that the bill he handed you is really good, just buy something back from him with his own bill and find out, right? So what I did was, of course, the next time we got into a social situation, I brought up with good humor, and I'm a good storyteller, of course, I brought up all of the silly and foolish things that he had done uh, over the last year or whatever. And I was pretty relentless in the way that he was. And I just could see him getting more and more upset, right? And then he's like, what the hell was that, dude? What, what are you doing? Like, you're trying to trash my reputation or just make me look like a complete idiot? And I said, what are you talking about? You got to have a sense of humor about yourself, man. I thought that it was totally fine to, to say embarrassing stories about the other person in the social situation. I mean, I was bothered by it, and you told me it's important to have a sense of humor about yourself, so I thought, okay, maybe I am too bothered by it, and let's see how it works for you. And it didn't work for him. He wasn't willing to admit fault, so bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Uh, I can tell when my mom wants something from me from the way she says my name in the other room. Niceness kicks in when they want something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Being nice to a stranger gives one a positive feeling in the moment, and in that moment it is more valuable than upsetting the loved one. But why wouldn't you get a positive feeling out of being really nice to your loved one, right? Wouldn't that make uh, a wee bit more sense to be positive to your loved one? Uh, sorry, I'm a little bit behind here. I don't think any animal is nicer to strangers than their own, so they are likely, there likely isn't much of an evolutionary advantage for the human way. I don't know what that means. Where would you draw the line between shyness and social anxiety? So you can, frame, you can frame it as shyness if you want, but I wouldn't. I would frame it as rational caution. Rational caution. So, you know, if, if I get an email from somebody who wants information from me, I'm pretty... Cagey, I'm pretty cautious. I generally won't respond, or if I do, it's with, you know, explain yourself kind of thing. And so you can say shyness like it's so oh, I'm just bashful or whatever. But 
you know, there's lots of reasons to be cautious around people, right? I mean, reality winner probably wishes she'd been a whole lot more shy, right? So, A couple I know just had an explosive divorce after only one year of marriage. They fought bitterly, but appeared nice to me and others. Yeah, for sure. Steph, why would a parent say, don't say stupid stuff? Of course you are, when a child says, I don't feel good enough, lovable, etc. Well, I would assume it's because the parent wants to wall op- wallpaper over the giant hole in the child's self-esteem that doubtless was caused by the choices of the parent. So, of course, the parent is going to want to say, oh, don't be ridiculous. You'd have no reason to think that. I'm a great parent, right? So, rather than say to the child, when did you first feel this? What thoughts are associated with it? Do you compare yourself to others? And what have I been doing that might have contributed to this feeling of not feeling good enough, right? What do you think about the kind of rhetoric being used, such as the unvaxxed are mutation cesspools? Yes, well, that's uh, that's not good now, is it? That's not good. So, I mean, people have been sold a piece of, I guess, Elizabeth Holmes-style marketing claptrap, right? So people genuinely believed that the vaccines were going to end the pandemic. It's completely impossible. Absolutely, completely, and totally impossible for the vaccines to end the pandemic. Oh, if everyone's vaccinated, we won't have... No, because, okay, so the only way that you would ever be able to use vaccines to end the panic, uh, to end the pandemic is if you hoarded them for a year, let's say, maybe a year, until you had enough to vaccinate everyone in one month or something like that, right? And then you closed your borders so that nobody else could come into the country, right? So if you were to say, okay, well, we're going to have to let a whole bunch of people die because we're going to have to hoard up these vaccines until we can just vaccinate everyone all at once. And that way, the virus is not going to be able to mutate as much. It's not going to have any escape plan. It's in, and then that's it, right? We just have to hoard up the vaccines and then boom. But what they did, of course, was they started doing a little vaccination. What was it? Uh, back in, in December of, of 2020 and maybe a little earlier for some people. And they've been slowly ramping it up, giving the... And, and it's a leaky vaccine, right? It's, it's a leaky vaccine insofar as it doesn't kill off all of the virus uh, and the virus gives the virus a chance to mutate and so on. So because it's a leaky vaccine, all they're doing is, you know, you ever see a little boy, like there's a bunch of seagulls in the parking lot, and a little boy just runs at the seagulls. What do they do? Well, they all scatter, right? So throwing the vaccine slowly in a building way into a population is driving the mutations, as far as I understand it. And again, I can't vouch for the truth of any of this stuff. This is just what I've read, and I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a vaccine specialist. I'm not a doctor or any of these things. So this is just stuff that I've read. So, um, and I have heard the same things before. Of course, we've heard them with antibiotics and people who don't finish taking their round of antibiotics, just leaving the most hardy um, bacteria alive and, and so on, right? So people have, they've been promised that the vaccine is going to end the pandemic and there's just no way. There's no way it can in the way that it's been applied. And there's no way people would have accepted hoarding the vaccine until you could basically nuke the entire population with the vaccine, which, again, assuming the vaccines are safe and effective and all of that, that would be what would really put a stop to the pandemic. But then, of course, what about all the other countries, right? There are some countries where you have 10% vaccinations. I know Israel's at the top and uh, Malta, I think, is pretty high up there. And uh, I think 96, 94% of the British population now has antibodies, which is as close to herd immunity as you could possibly get, I think. So, 
But there are tons of countries all around the world that are barely vaccinated. And then you've got people pouring across the entirely poorer southern border of the U.S. And you've got, uh, um, uh, I think it's DHS releasing, even if people, even if the illegals test positive for COVID, according to some reports, they're releasing them into the general population. So no way, no how, in any way, shape or form, was the vaccine, again, assuming the safe and effectiveness, there's no way that the vaccine was ever going to end this pandemic in any way, shape or form. Again, you'd have to hoard it. You'd have to nuke everyone at the same time. You'd have to close all your borders and, and you know, then you'd maybe get some kind of handle on it. But there's no way. There's no way. It's a leaky vaccine, which means it's driving variants. Now, because people took the vaccine on the understanding that, well, if enough people take the vaccine, the pandemic is over. The pandemic is done. We, we don't have to worry about this anymore. That's kind of how it was sold in many ways, right? Well, that's not true. It never was true. It never could physically possibly be true. So now, and you can see the coarse hyper-leftist actor Michael Rappaport. He was in, God, I didn't even know what he was in. He was in a couple of sitcoms. I think he showed up in Friends. He just plays these, you know, half tobacco chewing New York City firefighter types and um, all that. And... Did he show up in prison break? I think he did. Anyway, so he got really mad because he was really mad at all the people not taking the vaccine. And then he got really mad when he was told that the vaccine, the vaccinated people could be super spreaders, right? Because they don't feel any symptoms. So they've got a whole viral load. They're out there uh, in the world because they don't have any symptoms. They're spreading uh, in a way that if you get sick with coronavirus and, and you stay home, you're not spreading it because you're aware that you're sick because you're not vaccinated because it just suppresses symptoms. Doesn't prevent infection, doesn't prevent uh, viral load doesn't prevent infecting others, right? And so people are feeling really mad because they said, okay, well, I, I took this experimental gene therapy and I thought that the pandemic was going to be over. And now you got the Delta variant, which is considered to be as transmissible as um, uh, was it me uh, ch chickenpox? Not quite as bad as measles, but it's as, as transmissible as chickenpox, which is pretty transmissible. Rand Paul says that the danger of it is less, which is generally the case. The more transmissible the virus, the less dangerous it tends to be, because if it's both highly transmissible and fatal, it tends to die out pretty quickly because it runs out of people to infect because they're dead. So I've heard from other people that it's more. But anyway, so the Delta variant is coming along, and so the government has an issue did they are they going to say oh no no the, the pandemic was never going to end because of the vaccines are they going to say that of course they're not going to say that not in a million years because if they told people up front oh no the pandemic's not going to end because you take a vaccine come on it's not how it's a leaky vaccine it's going to drive mutations and blah 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 right if this theories are all true which you know we'll find out over time so they've got a, an angry frustrated population on their hands like wait a minute i'm vaccinated now i gotta wear a mask it's like, well, of course you have to wear a mask because if you're vaccinated, you can still catch the disease. You can still transmit the disease. You can have high viral loads and so on. What it, the vaccine, as far as I understand it, what it mostly does is suppress symptoms, which in kind of makes it a bit more dangerous because you're out there not even knowing you're sick or not feeling that sick. So if they'd said at the beginning, oh yeah, no, the, the vaccine's not going to end the pandemic and you're still going to have to wear a mask because it's a leaky vaccine and they'll still be, you know... 
there'll still be uh, mutations around and the mutations are going to try and evade the vaccine as much as humanly possible. And, you know, the vaccines, what is it? Like natural immunity is 6.7 times more effective and broader. Like if you get COVID and then your natural immunity is like 6.7 or so times broader and wider than the fairly narrow vaccine that was originally developed for the original coronavirus out of Wuhan, which by the way is going through another big lockdown at the moment. The original coronavirus is gone, right? I mean, there's the one that originally got out of Wuhan, it's long gone, right? It's been replaced a bunch of times by, by mutations. So yeah, it's going to keep mutating. And so people are mad. People are mad because the government held out this, this and the media, right, held out this carrot. Oh, you take the vaccine and the pandemic will be done and we can go back to normal and everything's going to be great and blah, 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 right? And, you know, of course, it's not true and it never was true as far as I can tell. And so now people are mad. And I mean, what does the government do when the government has lied to you, as I think has been the case? What does the government do? Does the government say, well, you know, we just wanted you to take the vaccine because... Our friends in the pharmaceutical industry are making a lot of money and the media makes a lot of money from pharmaceutical ads and all of that. So they're not going to say any of that. What they're going to do when they have a population that is angry, and I think fairly so, I think rightly so, if the population is angry, they find a scapegoat, right? They find a scapegoat. And This happens repeatedly uh, throughout human history, and the scapegoat now are the unvaccinated. And the story is, of course, as you know, that it's the unvaccinated who are driving the mutations, and the reason the pandemic isn't ending is because of the unvaccinated, and not because there was no way to end a pandemic with a leaky vaccine, right? That's slowly and, and gradually applied to the population, right? There's just no way. There's just no way. So, yeah, it's, it's very bad, and it's very bad, of course, right? Why do leftists view traveling the world as inherently virtuous and their primary goal in life? I don't know, is it? It seems to be quite common. Most of the people I met when I did my occasional bouts of like low rent traveling tended to be on the left. Um, yeah, so to mistake experience for wisdom is a foundational error in life, right? To say, well, I've been to a bunch of different places and therefore I'm well-traveled, I'm a world traveler and I'm wise and and have studied things and and i danced with the monks in thailand or whatever i mean to mistake mere experience and variety it, it's sort of like saying well i've eaten at a bunch of different restaurants therefore i'm a great chef it's like no you just all you've done is passively experience other people's achievements and then think that you've achieved something oh i went and looked at a various museums and i did this okay well you're looking at other people's achievements and thinking that you've achieved something it's really sad it's really sad but not as sad as starting to read The Trial and Death of Socrates with my daughter. Now that's sad, and I will get to that in a little bit. And not sad, like the Euthyphro argument that Socrates has at the very beginning, before he uh, undergoes the trial, uh, is, uh, I was just talk telling my daughter about this this afternoon, it's just about the most depressing thing that's happened to me in a long time, is reading Plato. Oh my God, it's just horrible. So I will get to that in a bit. Anyway, let's see here. Yeah, I, I like traveling too. It's great fun. But um, going to look at buildings other people built, civilizations that other people built, art that other people built, nature that nobody built. Yeah, it's fun. It's nice. But yeah. uh, you're not actually um, achieving anything. You're just looking at other people's achievements. It's like going to an art gallery and thinking you're an artist. You're not. 
Uh, I think it's simply because they know strangers won't put up with bad behavior. No, come on, guys. I mean, I don't mean to be naggy, but work a little harder than that. A waiter generally has to put up with your bad behavior because the customer is always right. So why are they nicer to waiters than their own family? Come on. I feel resentment towards the people around me for allowing the state to take so much control of our lives. Compared to what time in history where people successfully stopped this with their rhetoric and thoughts and ill will towards the state, right? Why do, you, uh, why do you think they want to implement lockdowns again? Is it to hide the bad economy? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they, I mean, why do they want to implement lockdowns? Because they're addicted to power and they like ordering people what to do. And if you look at a picture of Lola Palooza and say, well, they've got to close down churches, you'll understand just how insane this stuff really is. But no, they want to implement lockdowns because they can, and it's, it's, it's enjoyable for them to exercise power over others. But also because, you know, they will keep pounding the economy until there are no small businesses left, right? Because small businesses are a huge thorn in the side of the leftist power establishment because small business people are usually immune from the hyper-regulations that government place on businesses. Small businesses tend to be very pro-free market because they don't have the big lobbyists and legal armies to deal with and influence government regulation and they're generally at the short end of the stick and they have to deal with actual reality and they have people who wish to be paid more but they can't pay them anymore because they have to pay so much in taxes and they have to deal with and, and they see all the downside of regulation and none of the upside. So for a big corporation regulations are fantastic because they have the legal department to deal with it, they have the lobbyists to influence it and it keeps people from jumping from small business to medium business to large business to compete with them. Right, so I remember talking to a guy once when I was um, uh, traveling about you know what it is to compete with someone like PayPal, and you have to set up like there's different regulations in every state, and and you have to have a certain amount of money, and like it's really crazy to try and set up a payment processor that's going to deal with uh, going to competition with something like PayPal. Uh, that's fantastic for PayPal, of course, it's wonderful for PayPal. So you may have small businesses, but if the moment they try to get to medium, that's that's the big hollow spot where you, you can't leap over it to compete with the big businesses. So they love that stuff, right? So small businesses are a real thorn in the side because they tend to vote conservative, they tend to vote Republican, they tend to be anti-big government, pro-low taxes, and all of that. So they'll keep hammering the economy until there are no, as few small businesses left as humanly possible. So then the people have to go and work for large businesses, which they can control, the, the government can control much more easily or influence much more easily, uh, or, or they end up on unemployment, in which case they're dependent on the government and they're no longer anti-big government, right? So thoughts on the Olympics crap show. Simone Biles quit and athletes are moping during the national anthem. Yeah, good. I think it's, I think the Olympics is fantastic. Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Because the time for mindless cheering of taxpayer-funded sports ball over-muscled, under-fertile, not-having-kids scam artists is, is, is past. I mean, this all this all a luxury of the past, you know? It's like, oh, people are getting mad because people aren't are, are kneeling for the national anthem and so on. It's like, well, yeah, that's a pretty good indication that things are going pretty badly in the country, so maybe you should stop wasting your time watching sports ball and talk to people about truth, virtue, reason, and evidence. So I think it's fantastic. I mean, Simone Biles, you know, she got... So, I mean, I'm half and half about Simone Biles, right? So, so for those of you who don't know, she's like this top gymnast in America. And she bowed out of the competition uh, for mental health reasons. Now, I think it's called getting the jimmies or the shakes or something like that. And it's when you get slightly dissociated from your body 
when you are doing things that are very dangerous, right? Like, like I mean, um, uh, she's a gymnast, right? Gymnastics can be, can be very dangerous. So if you're not feeling really in control of your body, you should not be doing gymnastics. And the fact that she got these jimmies, which are kind of well-known to gymnasts as being, you know, a dangerous state of mind, right? You know, if you've ever had this um, where you're, you know, if you're really tired and you're driving, you've got to stop and take a nap and, or, or you know, wake up or roll the window down, get a coffee. The best thing to do is to stop and take a nap. You, you shouldn't drive. You ever had those drives where you're like, I don't remember this drive at all. I'm home now. I don't remember this. That's not good. That's not a good state of mind to drive. It's a very bad state of mind to drive and you should never do it. So if Simone Biles is, has got these jimmies, she's feeling dissociated from her body, that's a dangerous time to be doing gymnastics. And I don't think that she should do things that are dangerous for her as a whole. Is it kind of annoying that the taxpayers have paid a lot of her training and then she bails? Yeah, it's kind of annoying. Is it tough for her teammates? Yeah, she was kind of the centerpiece of the team. But um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, the fact that the Olympics, yeah, people aren't tuning into the Olympics because of all the anti-American stuff. Good. You know, what do they keep you dealt with? Free stuff and circuses, bread and circus. Panam e circunum or something like that in Latin, right? Bread and circuses. Okay. So stop looking at the circuses, which distract you from looking at the clown show of the state, right? So, um, and, and, you know, it's the pornography of sports, right? It's just watching other people do stuff rather than doing it yourself. Somebody says, I'm an epidemiologist and biochemist. You've been accurate with your COVID logic so far. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, does Steph still go live on locals? I do from time to time. Absolutely. But they're limited in video quality a little bit, and they're also limited to an hour at the moment. So it's interesting how someone like Ben Shapiro believes in the vaccine who took a different approach with it and is vaccinated himself. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I saw him in prison break. He was an evil deep state agent. Yeah, he was, right? He was. All right. Why haven't you pushed a pillow from my pillow guy? <laughs> from the my pillow guy? Mike Lindell, is that right? Uh, let's see. I, I used to like Ben Shapiro more than I do now. All right. Uh, what else have we got? Should we talk about depressing Plato? That's a nonsense thought, but I was wondering if if the Delta wasn't just uh, responses to the vaccine, like people and like, they just call it the Delta. Probably not, all right? My sister, my sister spent 27,000 pounds of taxpayer money on a degree in fine art, the only job she's had since... Uh, been teaching English in Asian schools. Yeah. To me, that's... It's a, it's a kind of big gauge of, of selfishness, right? So this is the... I mean, I mentioned this. I talked about this before, so I'll just touch on it briefly here. So I, I took some taxpayer money to get my degree. I mean, there was no way to not take taxpayer money to get a degree. I mean, it's kind of funded, but... so. I felt an obligation to the society that I was, that, that paid for me, I felt an obligation to return some value from my education to the society that paid for my education. It's not a legal contract, but it's kind of an obligation. Like if you have a friend who lends you money when you're in need and you pay him back and so on, then when your friend needs money, needs you to lend him money and you can, shouldn't you? Of course you should. If you borrow money from a friend, then when your friend needs to borrow money from you and you can afford it, 
then you should lend him money. That's, it's not a legal contract, but it's just a reciprocal kind of obligation. So if you were to, so if you say to, let's say this, this woman, this fellow's sister, this woman's sister, sorry, Lucy. So let's say I go on a first date with Lucy, right? And, and whatever, right? Lucy's like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, teaching, I'm teaching English. It's summer. She's back in whatever, Canada. And she's teaching English in Asian schools, blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, but wait, didn't the taxpayers pay for your education? Like 27 thousand pounds that's like what 40 45 thousand dollars so i mean shouldn't you shouldn't you provide some value here in canada because it's the canadian taxpayers that paid for education and now it's all the asian kids who are getting the benefit they didn't pay the taxes so shouldn't you try and find some way to reciprocate value in 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 the country where the taxpayers paid for your education I think that's a reasonable question. Now, if she's like, oh, gosh, I've never really thought of that, but I can see where you're coming from, or I disagree, but here's why, or whatever. But if she's like, hey, I mean, I'm not a slave, you know? Like, I, I can do what I want. I, I don't have to. You can't order me to, like, whatever. Like, this, then it's just okay. So you're just to take it, right? You just take, and then you just do what you want. And the idea of any obligation, any reciprocal obligation, however mild it may manifest, is a form of enslavement. And it's like, you know... I don't know. It's that's uh, that's just to me. That's just like it's a selfishness one one thing, right? All right. You should go back on Alex's show sometime. You don't mean Barrison. You don't mean the guy who likes coal. You mean Jones. Jones. They're ending lockdowns in um, Alberta. Alberta's like the Texas of Canada. And it's a lot of people who work with their hands in the natural resource sector, so they have common sense uh, around this kind of stuff. But yeah, they're ending them. They're ending lockdowns here and just about everything, I think. I guess you don't think that now is a good time to start a small business. Um, well, it depends. Depends what it is that you're doing. There's going to be some very good opportunities in these kinds of things, right? And don't people slowly give up freedom in a series of small compromises, like keeping relationships with leftists? Oh, well, you know, I mean, it's funny because, you know, everyone's saying, you know, you cut off contacts with conservatives and so on. And I was talking about this stuff, like with the people who advocate the use of violence against you by supporting the state and wanting you thrown in prison for making your own decisions and having your own choices. Um, yeah, you can't have those people in your life if you're a moral person. So... What do you think of David Icke and his claims about the virus? I don't know what they are. I cut ties with my dad because he's not willing to take any responsibility for emotionally abusing my siblings and me. He won't even admit it. I'm sorry about that, but um, you, you want a future free of abusive people, which means that having abusive people in your life will be a wall you can't get over to get to that future. So, How much to sacrifice to avoid the jab? I'm stuck in neo-segregation New York City. I feel something very sinister is up with the jabs. Oh, yeah, like, so New York City, they finally throwing Cuomo under the bus, right? They, the, the report came out that he did, in fact, sexually harass and create a toxic and abusive work environment and this, that, and the other. So, I mean, the big question is, okay, well, why are they throwing him under the bus, right? Why are they, you know, even Biden has called on, on Cuomo to resign and so on. And, okay, so I assume that it's something to do with the fact that they really are trying this, this um, segregation, right? This two-tier system where if, you don't, if you're not vaccinated then you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to bars, you can't go to various indoor places. I don't think it's grocery stores yet, but of course they're trying to create this segregated environment. And is it anything to do with health? No, because if it was to do with health, 
then if you've had coronavirus, if you've had the virus, then you could get tested for antibodies, I assume, and then you should get a card saying, oh no, I'm better than vaccinated because my natural immune response to COVID is 6.7 times more effective and broader than the jab. So uh, I'm, I'm way safer, right? So they should be, of course, offering free antigen tests or free uh, tests for antibodies for people who've had SARS. And lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people have had exposure to the virus and have either fought it off with their bodies not even knowing or had something mild or even something serious, but they've got the antibodies. So what they should be doing, of course, is offering people the if they, I don't like the vaccine passports, but assuming that they're going to be there, they should be offering them a, a super upgraded gold standard vaccine passport or vaccine pass for people who've got the natural antibodies because they've been exposed to the virus and their body has mounted a robust defense that appears to be lasting, long lasting, certainly lasting longer. You know, maybe the, maybe the, um, what they call the, the, um, the Delta variant is simply the people who got jabs six months ago, it's starting to wear off, right? And and so maybe, I don't know. Again, we'll find out, right? But of course, you can't get a pass to participate in the society if you've merely, if you merely have a 6.7 times better immune system response than the jab because you've had COVID, you can't get that pass. As far as I know, again, maybe that's, you know, something that's coming or maybe it's something I'm not aware of, but I've never seen that. So the fact that they're trying to create this apartheid system, it is an apartheid system. Um, in other words, if you're not willing to take an unapproved experimental gene therapy with no long-term human trials, and for which some of the data is not even available for other scientists to review, if you're not willing to take this, then you are going to have significant problems participating in civil society I mean, that's, that's a straight-up apartheid move, right? And uh, what can I tell you? I mean, the Democrats have always been into segregation, right? All right. So, yeah, I mean, why, why, you, why you'd be living in New York City is utterly beyond me. The fact that you think stuck, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't understand that at all, right? All right. Um, I love locals, really appreciate the content, but glad you haven't sacrificed quality with increased quantity. Uh, yes, I have so many. I have like six or 700 unreleased shows. So I'm just waiting for that in case I get sick. All right. Um, you could do live video group streaming on Telegram now. I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah. I'm in Edmonton. You're pretty right about us. Yes, I think so. Have you seen The Wire? I think the show makes pretty clear how racism isn't the reason why the black community is doing badly. Yeah, The Wire is a, is a great show. Uh, the Wire is a, is a great show. Uh, it really lifts the lid on the state. And um, it, it, unfortunately, I think that the, uh, the creators turned out to be uber-mindless leftists. But, you know, that's kind of the price. If you want to be involved in the creative industry, I mean, I couldn't figure out why my truly amazing novel almost couldn't get published. And it's like, well, because it's critical of Marxism. Uh, Biden administration prolongs moratorium on evictions. Landlords getting screwed. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big question as a whole, right? Like, why on earth would you take advice on a pandemic from people who aren't paying any price for their advice? If somebody doesn't have a skin in, skin in the game, why on earth would I care what they have to say about anything? Right? I mean, 
Why would you listen to Coca-Cola about how great Coca-Cola is, right? Why would you listen to a politician about lockdowns when the politician is getting paid either way? And in fact, the politician gains additional power because of the lockdowns. I just, I have absolutely zero interest in what people have to say about something where they have no skin in the game, right? Where they have no skin in the game. I have no interest. I mean, I just, I'll, I'll skim through it or whatever, right? It's like the media is, is saying something is really scary. Well, yeah, okay, I get, I mean, they make a lot of money and blah, 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 right? So, yeah, I just, um, so yeah, I mean, they can prolong the moratorium on evictions, sure, because they're, they're the Biden administration, they're politicians, not landlords, so it's fine for them, right? All right, let's see here. Ditching abuses has been so amazing, nothing but progress since, yeah. Uh, Ike claims that the virus has never been isolated and there's no virus at all. Just took the flu and called it COVID. Uh, again, I, I can't evaluate these claims. Somebody sent me an entire book with dollar bills on every 10th page about how there's no such thing as viruses and blah, 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 blah. But for me, the rigorous empirical proof just wasn't there. There was just a lot of statements without the proof. So They're throwing Cuomo under the bus because Kamala sees him as a potential challenger to the presidency, according to Jack Sobek. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's going to be funny, right? Because um, ordering elderly, like ordering nursing homes to take COVID-positive patients killed tens of thousands, as far as I understand it, of old people. But apparently you grab a woman's ass and it's all over for you. But, you know, being responsible in part, perhaps for the deaths of tens of thousands of people, oh, that's totally fine. But whatever you do, don't make a risque joke around women or that's that's the big problem, right? I'm trying to build a back catalog to rival Prince. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Boy, that guy really did look healthy, right? He was really slender and athletic and he always had a, 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 a I say gorgeous figure like he's a guy, but he always had this really uh, lithe uh, figure about, oh my God, uh, was it uh, was it a horrible life, right? Just a horrible life. He, had, he was in such agony from his dance moves that it ripped up his hips that he got addicted to these painkillers, and oh, just a nightmare. What a nightmare. Jordan Peterson is from Alberta. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Have I seen Mindhunter? No. All right, let me, let me sort of finish up, um, uh, finish up with, oh gosh, the, um, uh, the trial and death of Socrates. So it's a collection of, of works, right? And I've started reading it with my daughter. And She's, she's really enjoying it. Some of the language is terrible. I mean, this idea that Plato was this glorious writer is, is pretty bad. So anyway, it starts off, and I'll tell you why it's depressing as hell. So it starts off with Socrates outside the court, and he runs into a fellow named Euthyphro. And Euthyphro says, what are you doing here? You, you don't normally come around the courts. You're the philosopher guy, right? And Socrates says, uh, you know, this guy Miletus has brought charges against me for corrupting the youth and not believing in the gods of the city. So I'm, I'm here to, to, to start to deal with that, right? And he says, what, what are you here for, Euthyphro? And Euthyphro says, oh man, let me tell you, I, I am doing something truly noble and wise and pious. And Socrates says, oh, that's, I like that stuff. Noble, wise, and pious, that's my whole wheelhouse. Tell me, I mean, this is, this is fantastic that somebody is actually being noble and wise and pious and just at a law court. Tell me, well, what happened? And Euthyphro says, okay, so here's the lowdown. I'm bringing 
charges against my own father for murder. As Socrates says, OMG, really? Murder? That's pretty wild. I mean, that you would break the natural bonds of patriarchy and, from, and filial piety to bring charges against your father for murder. What's, what's the lowdown? What's the backstory? And Euthyphro says, well, so this guy who works for us killed one of our servants, and then my dad tied him up and tossed him in a ditch and then went to go and inquire of a priest, like, what he should do with, with the guy, right? Because the priest is the one who should know how all of this stuff works, right? But, but while he was gone trying to find the priest, a cold snap, the guy died both of the cold and, and of his bonds, and maybe there were some wounds or whatever. So when my dad came back, the guy was dead. But, but he was a murderer. But I think that my father should be charged as a murderer because he did cause the death of this guy, even though he didn't mean to directly and the guy was a murderer. Nonetheless, according to the principles of piety and justice and virtue, my father must be on trial for murder. And Socrates is like, oh, wow, that is a hell of a story. Wow, my God. I mean, you must be so certain of the just and righteous course of action to actually bring a charge which could get your father the death penalty, to, could kill your actual father. I mean, dude, you know way more about virtue and, and piety and, and justice and the good. You know way more than I do. I never, I mean, I talk myself in circles. I barely know what's going on with these things, and I've been studying them for decades. You, man, I, I kneel before you. You got to be my teacher, and you got to tell me everything that you know. Because, you know, this guy coming at me for corrupting the young and for not believing in the gods of the city and all kinds of crazy stuff. If you, if I study under you and you who know so much about justice and virtue and wisdom that you're willing to charge your own father with murder, I'll just say, oh, you're not mad at me. You must be mad at Euthyphro because Euthyphro is the guy who's training me. And, and, and if you tell me also that I am corrupting the young and not believing the gods of the city, I will confess and, you know, it'll all be easy and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so he says, you got to tell me. I mean, you got to tell me the word they use is piety, right? What is, what is the just and right and moral virtues? Tough to translate from the ancient Greece, right? So... He says, you got, you got to tell me, like, okay, wh what is pious? What is, what is, what is the pious? What is, what is, we just say the moral. What is the moral? And Euthyphro says, okay, well, here it is. I'll tell you in, in a nutshell, Sock. The pious is that which is loved by the gods. Socrates says, okay, I think I get where you're coming from. I do. But let me ask you, okay. Because I'm a little confused about something. Columbo style. Jackie Chan style. I'm confused. So I'm a little confused about something you throw. So is an action, let's just say an action. We don't have to say the whole category of, of morals. But is an action... Do the, gods, do the gods love an action because it's moral? Or is the action moral because it is loved by the gods? And you throw sensing the trap, right? It's like, uh, not quite sure what you're going on there, Socrates. And Socrates says, okay, um, is, let's say that your action of, of bringing charges against your father, if the gods love it, is your 
do they love the, the, the virtue embedded in your action? Or is your action virtuous just because the gods love it? And he says, I'm not sure why that's, okay, tell me why that's relevant. And Socrates says, oh, it's relevant because if the gods love morality, if the gods love a moral action because it represents a general principle of morality, then the fact that the gods love it is not as important as figuring out what that general principle of morality is. Right? If we say what is beautiful, we say, oh, beautiful is, is that which people admire. Okay, but what is it? Is it just beautiful because they admire it? Because we can think of things that people admire that aren't beautiful, like modern art. So that's the essential question. If, if the gods love something because it's moral, do they love what is moral about it? In which case, we've got to figure out what is moral about it and what's common to all moral actions. We've got to figure out morality as a whole, and then we've got to talk about that rather than what the gods love. But if an action is moral just because the gods love it, then we have other problems. He's like, okay, well, what are those problems? He says, well, okay, so the problems are, I mean, the gods disagree all the time. And the gods, they don't just disagree. They fight like hell. They fight like hell. He says, oh, no, but, okay, so think of Zeus, right? So Zeus castrated his own father because his own father ate his children. I know the Greek myths are pretty nuts, right? Like in Tarantino movie, if Tarantino was truly honest. And he said, so, I mean, Zeus is considered the most just and the wisest and the most pious of all the gods, and Zeus castrated his own father because his father ate his own children. And Socrates says, okay, well, yes, but the gods disagree all the time. They fight all the time. So some gods, you said the, the moral is that which is loved by the gods, but the gods disagree. And he said, and look, and look, if let's say you and I disagree about what is heavier. So like we got two objects and we disagree about what is heavier. Are we going to fight about it? And Euthyphro says, well, no. Well, why not? Well, because we just get a, we get a weigh scale and we just weigh them and find out which one's heavier. He said, okay, well, what about if something's taller or shorter? Do we, like, oh, we would just measure it and right, we don't have to fight. So he said, so basically, most of the most fundamental fights that people get into is about morality. It's not about things which you can, you know, say, oh, which, which number is higher, seven or nine? Are we going to get into a big fist fight about it? No, because we just count, right? count things and see which number is bigger. So he said, the gods who are fighting must be fighting over morality. There must be moral issues that they're fighting over. So if you say the moral is that which is loved by the gods, but the gods continually fight over moral issues, then they can't all be in agreement about what is moral. And therefore they can't, we can't say the moral is that which is loved by the gods because the gods are in violent disagreement over what is moral. Anyway, so let's, I, I won't go on through the whole thing, but it's a very interesting subject. It is, he's really enjoying, enjoying it. It's not very well written in some parts for sure, but anyway. So I'll tell you why this is depressing as hell. So I want you to think about 100 years ago where human technology was, right? Give or take, 100 years, give or take, right? No telephone, no airplanes, no cell phones, no internet. Um, there was uh, um, no really fast boats. There was like none of this stuff occurred. 
And in the realm of engineering, in the realm of communications technology, air flights, space flights, uh, there weren't cars really a hundred years ago. And if you look at the amount of advancement that has happened in a hundred years in the realm of uh, physics, in the realm of chemistry, in the realm of biology, in the realm of engineering, in the realm of aviation, space flight, like the, 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 the advancements have been absolutely staggering. But if you think about this, what's the basic question? What's the basic question? The basic question is the difference between positive and natural law. So natural law says, how do we know if a law is just? Well, because it reflects a principle of natural justice or natural law that is universal. And if a law is in contradiction to the natural law, the moral law, then it's an unjust law and you've got to oppose it. And this came out of, I mean, the positive law says a law is, is just because it's a law. And it's called the Justice Department, and it claims to administer justice. So whatever law it administers is by definition justice, because of the name, right? And so the positive law sentiments were doing fairly well in the Western world until, you know, the crimes of the Nazis, the, the Holocaust, the experiments on, on unwilling medical victims. Boy, that one kind of went uninformed. Medical victims, that kind of went by the wayside lately, but... After the Nazi regime was unpacked and dismembered and dismantled and, and people saw the horrors of the Nazi, the National Socialist regime, they said, okay, well, everything that the Nazis did or a large portion of what the Nazis did is legal, but it's clearly immoral. And therefore, we've got to get away from this positive law thing and we've got to get back to natural law. And right. So this basic question being asked between Socrates, well, that Socrates is asking, asking of Euthyphro almost... 2,500 years ago is, is a law just because it is a law or is a law just because it represents a universal category called justice? Foundational question. Now, no governments want this question to even be asked, right? Because if you say that a law is only just if it represents a universal moral standard, then you put limits on the government's power, right? This was the whole idea behind the Constitution. <laughs> Great job. Took about 80 years before they broke up the Constitution, right? So if you say, well, a law is only just if it represents or reflects a wider or universal principle of justice, then the government can't really do much, right? Because it's really constrained by the sense of universal justice. And then you, of course... I said this years ago in one of my early true news that the governments had a, a real problem defining what terrorism was because every time they created a definition of terrorism, it actually ended up including just about every piece of domestic and foreign policy they enacted. So they had, couldn't really come up with anything. In the same way, if you define universal justice, universal morality, then it not only constrains, but might even eliminate the moral justifications for the state. So they don't want these questions to be asked. On the other hand, if you say, well, justice is whatever the law is, okay, well, then it's not a universal principle because the law changes, laws reverse, laws get repealed. There are different laws in different states, different counties. There are different laws in different countries, you know? And, and so then there's no universal principle of justice that the law represents, which makes people much less likely to obey the law because it doesn't reflect any universal principle of justice. What you basically want is for people to never ask this question. 
And whenever the government wants to do something, they say, well, it's just because it's the law. And whenever the people feel like disobeying something, they say, well, all the laws are just because they represent a universal system of morality, blah, 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 right? Whether that universal system of morality is everyone voted on it. And if you don't like it, you can leave, whatever it is, right? So what's depressing as hell is when you think of the progress that science and engineering and medicine have taken the leaps, unbelievable leaps that these disciplines have taken in the last hundred years, hundred years. For science, you could really say since the Baconian revolution of the scientific method 500 or so years ago, we've had unbelievable progress in every realm, but not philosophy. With philosophy, we still can't, can't get people to ask that basic question, what is justice? What is piety? What is virtue? What is truth? We just can't get anybody to answer these, to ask these questions, really. I mean, present company accepted, of course, right? Now, because people aren't even asking these questions, they're not realizing how pitifully inadequate their answers are, and they, therefore they don't get to things like universally preferable behavior, which is the, not just my answer, it is by now the answer to universal morality. And we can't make progress in philosophy. We can make progress in just about every other field. So here's what's happened. We've had unbelievable advancements in technology. We have not had advancements. In fact, I would say we've had regression in the realm of morality. Now, what does this mean? What this means is you get shit like COVID which I believe, and the Republican argument just came out when they pointed out that the Wuhan lab demanded massive retrofitting of their entire waste disposal and security systems two years ago on a newly constructed building. Come on, they, they know, right? They, they put out the answer about where it came from. So what's happened is you've had, you know, Fauci and co funding gain-of-function research into back coronaviruses, putting in them in, into... Uh, partially human-grown mice lungs because we have massive advancements in technology without even remotely concomitant advances in morality. And so we've got the technology to create gain-of-function bat coronaviruses, but we don't have the morals to figure out whether we should or should not or how it should be funded or whether it should be funded because it's all, you know, we're trying to run 21st century technology on a fifth century version of social organization called the state. So guess what? It ain't working. It ain't working. So yeah, I just wanted to sort of mention that. If you have any, uh, morality is subjective, it's silly. It's basically the golden rule. Now, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No, it's not a good rule. It's not a philosophical rule. And it's a rule that, that here's the problem, right? I've said this for many years. Morality is like diet books for thin people. Because morality says, oh, have empathy, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and so on. But those people who already have empathy and are sensitive to the needs of others, they're already moral. In terms of like interpersonal morality, they're already going to think of other people, they're already going to be sensitive, already gonna... those aren't the people that you need to be moral. Right? The people you need to be moral, or the people who you at least need to identify and constrain with morality, 
uh, the people who don't have empathy and who you can't talk them into it because they lack the brain apparatus or the emotional drive or desire to gain and manifest empathy. So having a diet book for thin people or lean people or healthy people would make no sense. And so lecturing people on empathy and do unto others as you would have them do unto you is completely useless. Why it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Plus, have people do unto others, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, so some big giant guy says, oh, you should just punch people get, to get what you want. Okay, he's willing to do that because he's the biggest guy around. So he's willing to have that be a universal oral. He's, hey, if you want to punch me back to get it back, that's totally fine, man. Good luck. Good luck. I'm a big jujitsu guy or whatever, right? So, no, that's not, this golden rule is, uh, is uh, a fantasy of a virtue that um, only nags the people who are usually already good and does nothing to restrain or constrain the people who are um, evil. Uh, if you want to know my answer for what is justice, fdrpodcast.com, you can look up justice. We split the atom, but we forgot the Sermon on the Mount. All we have become is clever devils. Well, you know, much though I love Christianity, the render under Caesar's, um, Caesar does not, you don't render under Caesar, right? Caesar takes your money at gunpoint. All right. Yeah, we've also had a central bank for 100 years. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, morality is generally also around limited resources. And when you have the fantasy, that's why there's no morality of air. You just breathe it, right? It's a limitless resource. So when money is turned into a limitless resource, then you end up with uh, basically psychopathy because you don't ever have to weigh and decisions and balances and so on, right? Hey, Steph, why do women wear makeup? Isn't natural beauty better? Well, women wear makeup for the same reason that men buy cars that are more expensive than they need. It's a mating display. Uh, honor systems do not work when the majority of people around you have no honor. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I was, I was visiting a small town in Ontario not too long ago. And... Uh, on one of the lampposts in the middle of the town was nailed a big wooden box with glass doors on the front. Oh. And it was the local library. And it was like, take a book, leave a book, exchange books. It's a local library. Um, I guess that would be safe in Detroit because the one thing they don't steal in Detroit is books. But yeah. All right. Let's see here. All right. Well, listen, I am going to, um, if, should I try and adopt Christianity? I mean, UPB to me is, is um, more philosophical, but uh, Christianity is not a bad place to start. Um, it's the old thing that, would you rather the doctor make the right prescription for the wrong reasons or the wrong prescription for the right reasons, right? You'd rather him make the right prescription for the wrong reasons and Christianity is the religion for universal ethics because Christian ethics are not tribal. Christian ethics are universal and uh, that's different from say Islamic or Judaic ethics. So you've seen one of those community book exchanges in a Toronto suburb? Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, listen, just uh, don't forget, you can join Free Locals Community. If you want to support me there, that's very, uh, very, um, very much appreciated. But uh, it is um, uh, freedomain.locals.com. You can check that out. Please check out my NFT. I'm very proud of this, very excited by it. I came across a document that I wrote when I was 23 years old. My response to the Communist Manifesto called the Rationalist Manifesto. Really, really fascinating to read this fairly lengthy document outlining all of my beliefs, 
in philosophy and ethics and politics and so on. A snapshot from 31, close to 32 years ago. I go through the whole thing in a two and a half hour video, explaining it all, where I thought, why I thought, where it came from, how it differs from me today. I think it's a real slice of philosophical history and you can get it for a couple of hundred bucks and uh, it's only 500 will ever be uh, out there. It's a collector's item. Again, I think it's really gonna go up in value. I mean, I think, I think I'm gonna be a big deal in the future and um, so I hope that you will check it out. You can go to freedomainnft.com, freedomainnft.com to check that out. Don't forget the free book. Uh, almostnovel.com, almostnovel.com, free book, uh, audio, and an ebook, and all of that. So I really do appreciate you guys dropping by tonight. Uh, I hope you don't mind the relaxed headboard chatty chat scenario. And uh, uh, we will talk a Friday night. I will also be doing uh, another a show, uh, and maybe we'll do more of a call-in kind of thing. But uh, I really do appreciate you guys dropping by. It's much nicer to be talking to actual people rather than myself, which always makes me feel a little crazy. So have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful evening. Freedomain.com forward slash donate if you'd like to help out. Lots of love from here. Take care, guys. I'll talk to you soon.